Welcome to Living the Word Today, brought to you by Mount Calvary Baptist Church. We invite you to spend the next few minutes studying God's Word with your Bible teacher, Jesse Wagoner. Pastor Wagoner's desire for you is to not only understand God's truth, but to help you live it today. More resources can be found on our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Now it is time to open your heart and your Bible for your time in the Word. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 130 this morning. We'll continue our study that we've been in for a few weeks of the Songs of Ascents, the Psalms of Ascents. And uh, we're going to enjoy this together. And uh, today we're going to talk about Out of the Depths. Out of the Depths. And I just, before we, we're going to look at some of the bits and pieces of this psalm, but I want to, at least at the beginning, I want to read all eight verses together in, the, in, the, in their whole form. If you have a Bible available, I encourage you to follow as I read, and, and uh, we would enjoy having you participate in that way. Psalm 130. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, you hear my voice. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than those who watch for the morning. Yes, more than those who watch for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is mercy. And and with him is abundant redemption. And he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. It starts out... And by the way, these are songs of ascents going up, rising, because they were sung when Israel was, when the Israelites were traveling to Jerusalem yearly for their worship times, three times a year. So they were going up to Jerusalem, so they're going up. But if you, you can also notice it in this, this one is constructed so that it rises as you read it. It starts out from the depths, that's as far as down as you can get. And then it starts getting more and more. It's almost like a, a song that has a key change in the middle. You're singing along, suddenly it goes up a half step and it just kind of rises the, 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 the sound and the feeling. There's a song we sing at Easter that has a similar thing. It's not a key change, but you know that song, Low in the Grave He Lays, Jesus, my Lord, it's all low and quiet. And then suddenly, up from the grave he rose. It, like it takes you up a notch. That's what this song does. But it starts in the depths, and this psalmist, unnamed, is willing to tell us of his troubles. Sometimes we, sometimes we do not really tell our troubles. Sometimes we just plaster on, oh, I'm fine, and uh, leave it at such. I heard a story of a, a farmer was walking his mule along the road, and he had, there was an accident with an 18-wheeler that came by, and this resulted in a lawsuit. And uh, he is, uh, the farmer is on the stand telling what happened, and... and uh, and the opposing attorney gets up and says, Sir, I just, I'm reading directly from the police report. This is, what the, this is what the policeman said that you said, you know. And he says that when he asked you at the, at the accident scene if you were okay, you said, I am fine. Is that what you said? And he says, yes, it is, but. He said, no buts. That's what you said. Your Honor, I have no further questions for this witness. Well, the judge, sensing something was up, says, uh, why don't you finish your thought? He said, well, actually, Judge, what happened was uh, we were there, and old Bessie, the mule, was kind of over on the side of the road moaning and groaning. I knew she was in a lot of pain, and the police officer showed up, and he went over to Bessie and looks her over, and he pulls out his gun, and he shot her. 
He came over to me and said, I'm sir, I'm really sorry I had to do that. But she was not going to get any better. She was suffering. The most humane thing to do was just put her out of her misery. And how are you feeling? And he said, I said, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> the writer of this psalm is not saying he's fine. He gives the real true story. And in this psalm, I already shared with you that it's about thinking and knowing. The psalm gives us what we need to know when we are in the depths of trouble. This is the content of our thought. Uh, Some weeks ago, I have a pastor friend of mine. He's 89 years old and been preaching and teaching the Word of God far longer than me. And he asked me, he said, Jess, what are you going to be sharing with the people at Mount Calvary? And I said, well, I'm preparing a series leading up to Thanksgiving that we're going to look at these psalms of ascents. He said, oh, psalms are hard. He says, it's hard, you, can't, you can't make an outline out of Psalms. And uh, it is true, it's hard, because we, we preachers like to have these nice little packages and logical thought and get our rhetoric all put together a certain way. And So I'm not going to give you an outline today, it's just a list, okay? I'm just going to give you a list. And if you need an outline, feel free to make your own on your own time and send it to me. Maybe I'll pop, file it away for future reference. But in this psalm, we just find it it tells us what we need to know in the depths of trouble. And it takes us from the depths to the heights. And it starts with these words, out of the depths. Now, that word means something to us, but in their culture, it meant something probably a little more profound. The depths is a word that they would use for the sea or the ocean, the depths. And in their mind, the depths were scary. And and the the Israelites were not a seafaring people. They were not used to being on the water. And when they looked at the depths, when they looked at the sea, looked at the ocean, it was that which was scary. And if you went down into it, it was like you were descending into the abyss. It was, it was almost hellish in its concept. So when he says out of the depths, he was saying, it was out of this, this place that I am, it's as low as you could go, there's no help, there is no hope, and it's from this being on this edge of destruction that I cry out to you. Now, he also, if you look carefully at this psalm, you find out the reason that he's in this place of his depths because he mentions in verse 2, if he should mark by iniquities, he talks about forgiveness in verse 4. He, uh, he mentions iniquities down in verse 8. Uh, so he's used iniquities twice. So the problem has been sin generated. Now, you understand There are times in our lives for all of us, because the Bible declares without blushing that we all are sinners, and and there's things that we just, we violated God's law and we're a sinner. That causes trouble. There are some times in life where something happens to us to cause trouble that we did not choose, we did not cause, it just happened to us. But sometimes even in those experiences, we take something that's bad and make it worse by our own flawed reactions. We get angry, we get bitter, we get unforgiving, we retaliate, we try to settle scores ourselves. So it could, it could happen on both sides of that reality. Something we chose to do or something we didn't choose to do, but we did not choose our reactions in accordance with God's will. So that's, the, that's what's weighting him down. That's what burden, burdens him. It's his moral defection and his standing before God. First thing we need to know is this. We need to know that the Lord is attentive to our cries. Verse 1, oh, out of the depths, I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. He's crying from this place where it's God or nothing. He's all that he can reach out to. Lord, I cry out from this because he, he is marked with his own sin and guilt and shame and his sense of the judgment of God. And it's something he can do nothing about. And we understand the Bible teaches that when it comes to our sin problem, 
We cannot remedy our status before God without his intervention. So I cry out to the Lord. Then he makes this statement. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. He's asking for that, but there's many places in Scripture that confirm that God is willing to grant his attentive ear when we cry out to him. He listens. He cares. Now, I'm probably going to get some people in trouble for just a moment. And this is internal. It's not external, but I kind of view it as external. You know, you can be listening to somebody, and you just got this little internal dial, and I can be nodding and smiling, and we just kind of... We just kind of we just hit the mute button on what everything they're saying. And sometimes, particularly we husbands, get caught at that, don't we? Are you listening to me? Unmute. God doesn't have a mute button. God does not have a filter. When his children cry out to him, he hears. He has an attentive voice. He's attentive to our voice. He has an attentive ear. He hears. He, he, he's there for us. Now, the word is not stated in verse 1 or verse 2, but there is a word that is implied in these verses, and the word is confession. He is not covering his sin. He's not covering his iniquities. You'll see that again as we get into the next verse. He's, he's simply saying, Lord, I have problems, and he will later confess that the problems are because of sin, my own moral defection, my own imperfections before you, a holy God. So he confesses. By the way, that's God's remedy for our sin as believers. It's not my purpose to get into it too deeply this morning, but you understand the Bible teaches that when a person comes to faith in Christ in a judicial sense before the God, the judge of all things, we are declared righteous and we are forgiven. But there's also this relational sense in which we are still his children. We're not abandoned by God, but he wants us to come clean with our sin and to confess it and self-confess it and to receive that relational forgiveness. So confession is all over this. So what God asks us to do, I think, in these verses, knowing that he is attentive to our ears, that we need to come as a person who is on the edge of the deep. Have you ever noticed when you're in a real panic situation how quickly it, it improves your prayer life? Have you noticed that? Suddenly, Lord, help me, I need you. you know, and, and, and the Lord welcomes those prayers. But he also welcomes our praying all the time. Take it to him first and last. Take it to him. There's a verse that's found in James chapter 4 and verse 2. I just want to share the last phrase of it where James writes this. You do not have because you do not ask. And sometimes we do not have these, this, this, this remedy in the relational sense because we haven't asked. Come and ask. God says ask. Come to him in prayer. Why he has an attentive ear. Know that. Think about that. Process that. Secondly, we know the Lord majors in forgiveness. He majors in forgiveness. He says in verse 3, If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who can stand? But I love how that verse ends. The next phrase ends. Verse 4 says, next phrase, But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Lord, if you mark sin. In other words, and sometimes we maybe get this idea, and some people struggle with this idea, that for his children, God just sits around with his little notebook in hand, and, oh, he said that. She thought that. They went where? They're responding how? And God's playing this big gotcha game, trying to catch you doing something wrong just so he can pour his indignation on you. He says, Lord, if, if, you, if you kept all those things and just had them before you and they were undealt with, who could stand? 
Who has a chance? Who has the opportunity to, to get out of that? Who can, who can remedy that? And the implication is, and the inferred answer is, no one. But here's what it says in verse 4. But there is forgiveness with you. That is stamped all through the pages of Scripture that God is a forgiving God. In other words, he takes that which we are guilty for, and rather than holding it, keeping it, marking it, recording it, if you're one of his children, it is erased. I love the imagery of the Old Testament of forgiveness. There's several. There's one that says that he takes our sin and drops them into the depths of the sea. That's that same imagery you get back in verse 1. It just it goes and it never surfaces. He describes, he says, this is an amazing one. He says, he remembers our sin no more. That's better than I can do because there's a lot of things I wish I could forget, but I can't, even though I know it's under the blood. But I, I still have recollection of it. But he will wipe it from his memory banks. It says, as far as the east is from the west, and where I'm standing, that way is east and that way roughly is west. And if you start traveling west, and even if you come all the way back around the globe again to where you started, you're still going west. If you're going west, you're never going to bump into east. You go east, you're never going to bump into west. You're just going to keep going round and round. It's a way of saying you're never going to run into this sin ever again. It's gone. That's the forgiveness of God. That's the forgiveness of God. It is the result of the understanding and knowing this forgiveness. Into verse 4, that you may be feared, you will be respected, you be worshipped. You see, when we think about the cost, which was Christ himself, his life, the cost of our forgiveness and the expansiveness of our forgiveness, and forgiveness is full, it is final, it is free. All of that, once we think of that, we should respond in a heart that says, oh, Lord, what a great God you are. I have trouble remembering that kid that was mean to me in the third grade, you know. And you forgive me of all of my sins. You forgive it all. I fear you. I respect you. I honor you. Maybe we should respond this way. Knowing that the Lord majors on forgiveness. If you have received some, you and I should grant some. Sometimes we're the ones that pull out our little book. And we're going to record the iniquities of everybody. And I'm going to keep it there. That, that one right there, it's never going to be erased. I'm going to hang on to that. That's not how God treats you. It's not how God treats me. That's not how God treats us. If you have some, you have all that you need. If you're one of his children, then grant some. And then he, he, he presses on in this. He says, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. And in his word I do hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than, one, than those who watch for the morning game, more from those who watch in the morning. So he talks about watching. We should, we should wait as a watchman watches. We should wait on him. Just keep trusting him, even when we don't see things happening that we would like to see happening. The writer here proposed that we continue to wait for the Lord to deliver him as he reflected on God's forgiveness. Now, if you go to the end of the psalm, he talks about Israel. So there's a, a sense in which he's speaking national, nationalistic, but also then we apply it personally to our lives as New Testament believers. But God had told Israel, I'm going to put you in a land. I have promised that Abraham and his descendants are going to have a land, a special land. It's a land that he described, pre-described as flowing with milk and honey. And I understand that maybe doesn't ring too much and resonate in our minds, but it's good stuff, good place, perfect for their society and their needs. 
And I'm going to put you in that land. But he also warned them. He warned them in the law. He warned them through a succession of prophets that if you disobey and if you worship other gods and you don't keep my law, then you are going to be displaced from that land, which happened in the 6th century B.C. when the Babylonians finally came in and took over the last remnant of Israel, the, the, the nation of Judah at that time, and carried them captive into Babylon. They were there for 70 years. Daniel was, writes during that period. Can you imagine the Jews of that day pulling out from their memory banks as they used to pray these words, as they, sing these words as they went up to Jerusalem, and now Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple has been destroyed. They're, 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 they're living in foreigners in a foreign land, and to say these words, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits. I'm waiting on him. I'm waiting for restoration. You see, sometimes in our sin, yes, forgiven for God, it's all clean, it's made right, but you also understand, do you not? Sometimes the effects of sin in this life, in this world, continues on. There's some sins that we're forgiven for, and it seems like there's no ramifications. There's some sins that seem like the, you know, the, the results continue on far after the forgiveness takes place. But eventually, after 70 years, God in his grace took Israel back to that land. They were displaced again in the dispersion starting in 70 A.D., and halfway through the 20th century, a remnant of Israel is back in the land and they're still there today. And someday God will fulfill all of his promises to Abraham in that land. And someday God will fulfill all the restoration that needs to take place in our lives. Maybe you're saying, when, Lord, when is that going to be made right? I know I messed up and I had your forgiveness, but I'm still struggling here. When are you going to make this right? When, when is the, the burden going to lift as far as the practicality of life? What do you do? You wait on the Lord. You trust in his timing. Trust in his timing. And sometimes when we don't know how, Lord, how are you going to do this? Sometimes we don't know when. Lord, when are you going to remedy this? When you don't know the when, you don't know the how, let me suggest that you ask another question. Ask who. And the who that will solve all those problems somehow eventually is God himself. You wait on him. You wait patiently. Don't lose heart. Don't lose hope. He will redeem those things. He will restore those things. Think of the Apostle Paul who wrote a big chunk of the New Testament, right? I mean, this is a guy who preached before kings and planted churches all around the Mediterranean. And, and here was a guy who worked miracles through the power of God and even raised people from the dead through the power of God. And when he looked at himself, he said, I'm the chief of sinners. And remember, he talks about he even persecuted the church before he came to Christ. He was standing there approving when the, when the stones were hurled, crushing the life out of Stephen for the sole reason that he believed and loved Jesus. And Paul was part of that mob. Did God restore him? Did God use him? Yes. Just wait on the Lord. He'll restore those things that still linger in your life. Know that. We also know that we must trust in his word. Did you see that in verse 5? Wait on the Lord... Wait, I wait for the Lord, my soul waits, and in his word I do hope. Primarily, God communicates to us through the pages of this book. Isn't this great? He put it in writing. Very accessible, very affordable, very, very obtainable. He speaks to us, and he, he wants us to know, and we need to look inside this book. I'm a, I might make some of us, maybe myself included, a little uncomfortable with the question. 
But it's a good question to ask every once in a while. Now, you've started this week well. You're given 25 minutes of your time out of the service for someone to stand here and try to teach you some things from the Word of God and have this discussion, this conversation that we're having right now in real time. But question, in the last two weeks, how many times have you opened this book and actually read something from it for yourself? Also know that's sort of an unfair question to come from me because I'm going to stand here for these 25 or 30 minutes and I have to do some studying to have something to share with you. So I have an unfair advantage. But I have to ask myself the question, how many times do I open it just for my soul and for my personal growth and my, 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 what I need? We need to see the value of this book. After Julie and I started dating years ago, we were both college students, and for two summers, I worked at one place, she worked a summer job somewhere else. We were separated virtually for the whole summer. And uh, this was in the days when you had to actually get a piece of paper and write words on it and put it in an envelope and stick a stamp on it. They weren't, they did, they weren't even pre-adhesive stamps. You had to actually lick them to stick them on there. And she'd say, and I, I remember going to the mailbox and where, where I was living that summer, you had to go to the post office and at a post office box you'd open up and I could see immediately because I, I knew the script of her handwriting. I immediately said, that's what you want to read that. And I'd write them and she would write them and we'd send these letters back and forth. And I got a letter from her. It was, that's what I'm going to open first. God's written you a love letter. It's right here. It's written because he loves you. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to, he loves you enough that he's going to tell you what, what should be different in your life. That needs to change. Don't do that. You need, to, you need to do these things instead. Friends, we ought to read our mail. It comes from the heart of God. So I'd simply ask you, let's make sure that we use it, that we use it. And he says, and this is writer writes, and in his word I do hope. That's where hope comes from. That's where it's generated. We need to know that. That's, that takes you from the depths to the heights. We also know that we have his mercy. This is in verse 7. I, o, o Israel, hope in the Lord, for, there, for with the Lord there is mercy, and with him is abundant redemption. Now the word translated mercy is the Greek, excuse me, the Hebrew word hasid, hased. Sometimes it's translated Loving kindness is translated mercy. There's all different words used for it, but it just means God's doing something good for you. He's merciful to you. And we have his mercy. Now remember, in this context, in this context, the problem ultimately was sin. You remember in Mark chapter 2, Mark records it, that there was some people, four men bringing a friend of theirs who was paralyzed and couldn't walk. And they thought if they could get him to Jesus, Jesus would heal him. They can't get to Jesus, so they get up on the roof of this house and they, they kind of open an opening in the house and they let this man down because they can't get through the crowd. And everybody's kind of looking and everyone's expecting that Jesus is going to say, get up and walk. If he's, if he's able to heal him, that's what he's going to say. And Jesus looks at the man and he says, your sins are forgiven you. What? And there were some Pharisees looking on. Did you hear what he said? Only God can forgive sins. Blasphemy, blasphemy, blasphemy. I can't believe he said that. And then Jesus says, which is easier to say? Your sins be forgiven you? How do you prove or disprove that, right? Or or to rise up and walk. He says, so that you will know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins, I say to you, rise up and walk. And surely he did. The problem with us is sometimes we don't view our problem as being a problem of sin. 
We live in a world that barely, scarcely recognizes that there is, even is something called sin. And in some quarters of our society, they will explicitly say, there's nothing that's sinful. That's just something people way back in the past invented to make you feel bad so that they can control you. But if there is a God, and there surely is, or how did all this come to be? Life doesn't come from dead stuff. All of this order, all this complexity, there is a God. He, he reveals himself to us in the pages of Scripture. He reveals himself to us through, through what's around us and through the power of the Spirit. And he's a holy God. He's a righteous God. And what we need to have remedied before him is our sin because that's what separates us from God. This psalm has been a favorite of many people throughout church history. It was a favorite, apparently, of John Calvin. And there's a story told in the, the life of, of, of John Wesley that he was reading Luther's introduction to the Psalms. And, he, and, and, and John Wesley was a preacher. He was a pastor, but he was not saved. He was doing all this religious stuff, but he'd never personally put his faith in Christ. And he was so moved by what he read from Luther's writings about the Psalms, he thought, i got to do something. I, my soul was troubled. And he went to St. Paul's Cathedral in London, and they were having a service. And the choir, not singing, but chanting, were chanting Psalm 130. He says, he heard, if the Lord should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? And Wesley said, I knew I couldn't stand. I need Christ. And friend, you can't stand without Christ. The remedy for your sin is that Jesus paid sin's price for you. And you need to come to him. Open your heart to him. Open, open your heart to him. What you need is not outward reforming. It does not change life. That can come later. But you need the Savior to deal with your sin problem. And perhaps one of the reasons why the world scarcely notices sin is perhaps we as God's people have not taken sin as seriously as we ought in our own lives, in our own world. There's one more that's kind of the compliment to it. He says in the end of verse 7, And with him is abundant redemption, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. Redemption. Know that the Lord will redeem. Have you noticed everywhere you, have, everywhere you go, you've got to have your rewards card with you to get your points? so that you can get your free coffee or your free sandwich or whatever it is you can get. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to confess my age. And some of you, you will remember this. Some of you say, what's that guy talking about? But growing up in the 60s, uh, the rewards points came in the, in the form of little stamps they would give you when you checked out the store. Where we lived, it was green stamps. And, and my brothers and I, it's our job to lick all those things and stick them in these books. And if you got enough books, you would go to the Redemption Center. Where we lived, we went to Parkersburg. And you go to the Redemption. And if you had enough books, you could, you could redeem it for some, some good. I remember the time we went and my mom got a sewing machine. She was so happy. It did this zigzag and stitch and everything. She was so happy with this, this, this sewing machine. And one time we cashed in. We redeemed our S&H cream stamps. I don't know why my mother did this. But we redeemed it for a hamster cage. <laughs> we really did. And they were crazy enough to let us get one. And they're nocturnal. They stay up all night making noise. And they're escape artists. They get out and run around the house and crazy stuff. But something had to be redeemed. A price had to be paid. You pay this, you get something in return. To get us in return as his children, God had to pay 
a redemption price. The price was his only begotten son. The life of that son so that you could be redeemed. And we don't have to do anything works-wise to receive it. We just receive it. We accept it. We believe it. Believe in him. If you're here this morning and you never trusted Christ your Savior, I implore you. Make sure that redemption is yours. Don't miss the greatest gift you could ever have to solve the greatest problem you will ever face, which is the weight and the guilt of your own sin. If you're one of God's children and you've received that redemption, just rejoice. Tell someone else about it. But if you need it, we, I want you to come to Christ. Typically, I, I, I go to the back because I want to say hi to you and thank you for coming after the service. I'm just going to stay around the front. There'll be someone else at the back. But if you want... If you have a question, you want someone to pray with you, talk to you, maybe we have to just set a time we get together because we, we need more time to talk, talk than we have today. But I'd love to share with you, help you, pray with you, whatever it takes to see you come to Christ. That invitation stands open. You can come even while we're still singing. Come here and we'll just have a quiet conversation, whatever we need to do. I'm not going to manipulate you, not going to trick you, not going to force you. I just want to share more than I have time to share while I'm sharing this teaching this morning. And then he says this, and he shall redeem Israel from all his iniquities. He'll redeem you from all your iniquities as well. How do you go from the depths to redemption? You know that he's attentive to our cries. He majors in forgiveness. We need to wait on him, trust in his word, know we have his mercy, and he will offer you redemption. Let's think the right thoughts as God has given them to us. Thank you for joining us for Living the Word today. We appreciate your sharing in this study of the scriptures. And thanks, too, for your prayers and for letting others know of this ministry as we seek to be living the Word today. We would love to have your feedback and to hear from you. And the best way to contact us is through our website, livingthewordtoday.com. Until next time, may His blessing be yours.